Pastor Xavier Reese on giving God the opportunity to meet a need that only He can. There are some times and situations in your life and my life where, you know, nobody can help us because there are some things that only God can answer you. There are some things only God can put assurance in your heart about. There are only some things that God can only do in transforming your heart that nobody else can do. No amount of sermons, no amount of talking can do. You've got to go to God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, found in both the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, Jesus taught His disciples to pray with a very specific model for praying that included elements of honoring God, thanksgiving, petition, forgiveness, and so on. But coming up, Pastor Xavier lends an ear to another documented prayer of Jesus, but this one from the night of His betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's join him there, drawing insightful, simple truths from what was arguably Jesus' most intense time of prayer. Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. Then they came to the place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, and he spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. This morning we want to look at our Lord's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and see what we can learn about prayer. Just a few things before we begin. Remember, there has been a secret meeting by the Pharisees in Matthew 26.3 to plot the death of Jesus. They are tired of his teaching. They are tired of his uh, insinuations and accusations. And they have come together to kill him. Jesus has been anointed for his burial earlier in this chapter, verse 3 through 8, by Mary, as he was in Bethany. Whether Mary knew it or not, we don't know. But God was in control. He was right on time. And here she anoints him with that perfume and everybody starts murmuring, saying this could have been given to the poor. He says, listen, you always have the poor with you. You only have me for a little while. And here this, this perfume, which was equivalent to almost uh, 300 denarii, a denarii was a day's wage, almost a year's wages. And they're saying, well, you know, this could have been given to the poor, but the other gospels tell us that um, Judas was a head spokesman here and it's because he was pilfering from the bag. He was a thief. He wasn't saying because he loved the poor. 
But here he is anointed for his burial. And Judas has gone out already to betray him. He has instituted the Passover meal, the new covenant. Judas, Satan has entered in. He has gone out and betrayed his master for 30 pieces of silver, the very price of a gourd slave. Jesus has predicted also that they would leave him, every one of them. But stop and think about Jesus in this situation. He's been walking with these guys. He's poured his life out in them and to them. And he's prepared them. And all of a sudden, others have already left him. And John tells us that in one day he said, you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have no part with me. Many of them left him already. He has not predicted that his 12 are going to leave him. One's going to betray and the other 11 are going to flee. But not only that, the scriptures tell us that the Father was going to forsake him also. Have you ever been down in the dumps? I mean, bummed out. I mean, it, it, like, you know, it doesn't even seem like it's worth living. And yet, here he is, God, Messiah, taken on flesh. And yet, he's at a point to where it appears to be the lowest of his ministry. But when in fact, it is the climax of his ministry. And sometimes we don't understand that. Then when we feel we are at the lowest point, we are at the highest spiritual potential. Whether we enter into it or not, that is up to us. But the potential for spiritual maturity and spiritual victory is always when we're low because God is always there to comfort us. He's always there to minister to us all the time. Jesus' only desire now was to go and to pray to the Father in this section, verse 32 to 42. The first thing we want to look at in verses 32 to 34 is that Jesus had a place to pray. It says they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he went a little, uh, and he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch. Notice the place. The place is Gethsemane. It is located on the east side of the Mount of Olives. As you come out of the city, and you come up perhaps out of the east gate, you go down the valley to the Kidron Valley, then you come up the slope, and there is the Mount of Olives. At the foot of the Mount of Olives, there were some gardens there. If you go to Jerusalem today, you will find there also some gardens. Um, they're tremendously old olive trees Some of them probably seven, 800 years old I'm sure none of them date back to Jesus But here in the Mount of Olives Was a place where some of the wealthy people Had their gardens And perhaps Jesus had come to know One of these individuals And he had allowed him to receive uh, The garden for himself Anytime he wanted And this was his place of prayer um, Luke twenty-two thirty-nine says that he was accustomed to go there. So this time when Jesus goes to pray, it isn't something just because he's in distress or he's in difficulty. Something that you and I have to learn continuously. It seems that the only time that we go to prayer is when we, something we feel is wrong. Or that something is coming about that I don't understand or I can't handle. And yet prayer should be a thing that we do always. Regardless of what is going on or what is not going on. I think of Daniel. Daniel was told not to pray. There was an edict that was made for the king. And nobody could ask anything except for the king. 
Daniel opened his windows up, looked towards Jerusalem three times a day and prayed. Nothing would stop him from praying because he knew if he didn't pray, he was dead. He had no power. He had no way of knowing what was going on. And it seems sometimes that as long as I, I can see some control, I can see the good that's going to come or I can kind of escape the, the seeming trouble, uh, I don't need to pray. I don't need to go to God. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we are such an anemic church today in the United States. Because we have completely bypassed prayer in so many ways. And here you have Jesus. He goes there. It's his custom. But also, Jesus desired to do the will of the Father in spite of his suffering. For look at uh, where he's going. Who does he go to? To no one but the Father. He's taking his disciples with him. The place is familiar to the disciples also. John 18, 1, 2 says that Judas knew exactly where Jesus was going to be because he always went there with his disciples. Now, if you weren't at work, if you weren't out doing something and you usually had a place of prayer and there are certain people who were looking for you uh, knew that place of prayer and they couldn't find you anywhere else, would they know that they could find you there? Judas knew. He knew where Jesus would be at this time. He had been there when the Last Supper was instituted. He knew that where he was going to go. He was going to go spend time with the Father. And yet, it was so familiar to the disciples also. But the place was a special place of privilege also. For look at verse 33 and 34. Again, uh, not only did he take the 11, but he left eight of them towards the entrance and he took the other three Peter, James and John to go to the place where he would pray these guys were the inner circle they saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead they saw Jesus Christ transfigured in the Mount of Transfiguration they saw Elijah and Moses and all of a sudden another time here it is they are in a place of privilege again for Jesus said right there that his conflict was great Probably the greatest conflict of the life of Jesus Christ was right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, being troubled and deeply distressed. Now often we look at the cross and we say, well, Jesus' greatest conflict was at the cross. I don't believe that. I believe the greatest conflict that Jesus ever had was here in the garden. I believe the greatest battle for the cross was here in the garden. And I believe the cross... He said, it is finished. But I believe the battle was here in the garden. As we continue, you will see that very, very obvious. It was here where Satan, remember, they attempted him in the wilderness. And he said, Luke tells us that he left him, Satan departed, till a more opportune time. Satan was always looking for the more opportune times to attack Jesus Christ. How many times we read in the scriptures, they tried to kill him, they tried to take him, they tried to this, nothing happened. Here it is again, Satan's here at the very last minute, at the most opportune time. That's when Satan comes to you and to myself, at the most opportune time. When you're down, when you're bummed out, when you're discouraged, when things don't seem to go right, when you think everybody's betrayed you, when you think there's not a person who loves you. He'll come, and he'll come hard, and you will have your greatest conflict there. But you will always have also the greatest opportunity to rise to spiritual heights. 
Because God is there to meet you and to meet me. But how does it happen? Through prayer. Not through thinking about it, not through discussing it, not through trying to figure it out, but through prayer. Jesus sought comfort and relief from the Father alone. Verse 34, he says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. The disciples could not help him. There are some times and situations in your life and my life where, you know, nobody can help us. We want people to help us, but nobody can help us. People call for counseling. People call the pastor. People do all kinds of things, but they don't pray. Am I excluding the pastor, counseling, the church? No. But make sure you pray. You go to God. Because there are some things that only God can answer you. There are some things only God can put assurance in your heart about. There are only some things that God can only do in transforming your heart that nobody else can do. No amount of sermons, no amount of teaching, no amount of talking can do. You've got to go to God. And God has to work in you and in me. But not only did Jesus seek relief and comfort from the Father, but Jesus sought vigilance from his disciples. Stay here and watch. All he told them was to watch. That's all. Now stop and think about it. These guys are disciples of Jesus. Jesus is God. He's been walking with them and they with him for over three years. And, and, and Jesus is asking you to watch for him. How would you respond if Jesus said watch for an hour? Watch and pray that you be worthy to stand before the Son of Man and escape all these things that will come upon the whole world. The parables of people sleeping, unaware, teaches us something about the day and age that we live in. Is that many of us do the same things as disciples. We don't watch. We've got things in neutral and we're just cruising and everything seems to be going right. And we're oblivious to the things of the Spirit, though we're so aware and tangible with the things around us that are physical. And in fact, we're not watching. We're being careless about the things of the Spirit. How do you find out about the things of the Spirit? It begins through prayer, through the Word, through involvement. We're praying God to open your heart, to use you, to, to just minister to you. It begins there. He had a place of prayer. I hope you have a place of prayer. It might be in your car as you drive to school, drive to work. It might be before you leave the home, before anybody gets up, you get up and you have a place where you just pray, you seek the Lord. Before you shower, before you eat, before you do anything. Maybe afterwards, it's up to you. But you should have somewhere where you meet the Lord. Does that mean that you can't pray anywhere but there? No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but did you pray? And you wait upon God and you seek God and you know that He is the one who's going before you. And not anybody else. Not your group, not your church, but you. We also learned that Jesus had a purpose in prayer here in this section, verse 35 through 40. Jesus needed to be alone with the Father. Verse 35 says, He went a little farther and he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. You see, Jesus knew that this was something that only the Father could meet. He had to be alone with the Father. Luke twenty-two forty-one says that he went a stone's throw and he knelt down to pray. Now praying has no 
absolute physical posture. We find men praying standing with their arms raised up, with their head bowed on their knees, flat on their face, flat on their back. So the most important thing for prayer is the position of your heart, the posture of your heart. Is it humble? Is it open? Is it true? Does it really want to hear what's going to be said? And yet here we see the physical posture of our Lord as he became walking with his disciples and then he left eight in the by the front and then he brought these three in and these three could see him and he goes as a stone's throw away and he just falls on his knees and I'm sure he began to talk to the father as he was on his feet then he cast himself on his knees and the Greek implies repeatedly he did this praying and casting himself to the father in this time of great sorrow and discouragement and just a great conflict there will be conflicts in your life and my life that there's no other way that you're going to get through them apart from prayer and you can attend all the Bible studies you want and you can talk to all the people you want but until you have gone to prayer and God has given you that peace, that assurance and He has spoken clear to your heart you will continue to deal with that problem over and over and over again. You need to pray. You need to go to Him. Jesus desired to do the will of the Father in spite of His suffering also. There's another purpose that He shows us here. Verse 36. And He said, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. This gets into some heavy prayer. <laughs> this isn't the prayer like we hear today where it demands from God. This isn't superficial prayer that says, Lord, I'll do all your will as long as I feel good. Lord, I'll do all your will as long as you don't make it rough for me. Lord, I will do all your will as long as my wife is faithful, my husband is faithful. My children don't rebel. No, there, there's, there's no condition on this prayer. The only condition is that God's will be done. In spite of what has to take place. And if you don't think that Jesus Christ was in agony, you read this passage over and over and over again. We always want to excuse ourselves and say, yeah, but you know what I mean. There's no buts about it. Look at Jesus and look at the life of the church in the early church in the book of Acts. Look at the history of the martyrs of the blood of the saints. That's the seat of the church. First, he acknowledged that all things were possible for the Father. You need to come to God knowing that all things are possible. He can do anything. I need to come with that confidence. But that doesn't mean that he will do anything I tell him. That's another matter. <laughs> because he's sovereign. He does what he wills, when he wills, to who he wills, and where he wills. Why? Because primarily he has his purpose and his will in mind. And secondly, he has my eternity in mind. And they work together. I can't see down the road too far. I'm nearsighted. I'm bound by the things around me. God has tremendous vision. I mean, he can see afar off. And he knows exactly what is in store. But he also, his petition was for the cup to be removed. What did he mean by the cup? First of all, Jesus would become sin for the whole world. And stop and think about it. He was and he is absolutely holy. See, we don't understand the full impact of that because we're sinful. And so when we hear a, a person curse or we see something lewd or we see or, or somebody offends us, 
it, it may shock us at first, but we're sinful people and we live in a sinful world. And so we're kind of familiar and used to. But here is God who is ultimately holy. Do you understand the violation and the conflict that is going on? We have no understanding of that. We have no way of even trying to put ourselves in that position. He was God. The conflict was great here. But not only that, Jesus would be severed from fellowship with the Father because Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now I don't understand how that was broken if they're always one. It's beyond my understanding. But Jesus cried out, Why hast thou forsaken me? He had always been one with the Father from all eternity. Whatever was going to take place was just awesome. And it was going to take place because of you and because of me. Not because of himself, but because of us. But what made it all worthwhile is he did it out of love. Nobody forced him. You will go to prayer and I will go to prayer and there will be situations that will seem so offensive to us. There will be people who we will not want to forgive. There will be things that will happen that will say, no way. And yet, God will tell us, you need to. You're able. Now I just want you to know if you're willing. And see, the suffering is real. The conflict is real. But God is there to relieve that suffering and to meet the comfort. But the longer we fight against the will of God, the longer we remain in suffering. And then the suffering that continues from there is self-inflicted and no longer because of the situation. And so often we continue in suffering, bringing afflictions on ourselves because we refuse to bow our knee and to humble ourselves and to say, Lord, your will be done. Because it stands for everything that we're not. You see, there's, there's, there's always a danger that we can accept the Word of God for ourselves. I believe every promise of God for me. But to believe those promises for me to apply them to others, well, that's a different thing. And I can believe God to redeem me, but not this other person. I can believe that God has forgiven me of my sins, but I can't forgive your sin against me. And there's always that danger. There's always that weakness of our own corruptness. To be selective. To be superficial. And to put on an appearance that really is not there. And time itself will drive us to our knees. If not to our grave. Because of that hardness of heart. But there's another purpose here. And that is Jesus prayed knowing that God would hear him. In verse 39 he says again he went away and he prayed and he spoke the same words it would be absolutely stupid for anyone to pray if they didn't believe someone would be listening and going to answer you ever stop and think about it do you really believe that God hears you when you pray do you really believe he's going to answer you your evidence is do you wait for him to answer you secondly when you hear him do you obey him you see, if we're going to be men and women of prayer, then we do it because we know He hears us and we know that He's going to answer. 
This is what Jesus is teaching us here. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing important elements of prayer from the example of Jesus' own prayer to the Heavenly Father from the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, there's much more of this informative message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you're invited to pick up a copy. And the title you'll want to ask for is simply Understanding Prayer. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Understanding Prayer, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 